With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It is your weekender, Neil Atkinson with Adam Melia, Kiva O'Neill, John Gibbons and Joel Sanderson-Murray to have a lovely big chat about the weekend as it opens up in front of us. We're going to be joined by Rory Smith. You chatted to the chap from Cop Kenya. Oh yeah, he was nice. Spoiler. Spoiler alert, that is to come, Uh, that is lined up as well, and I've done something else that I can't remember, and the football (laughs) flash quiz was absolutely excellent. Uh, He did well. He did really well, Uh, I was delighted with him to be quite honest with you, and when I remember this other thing I've done for the weekend, it's going to be absolutely different (laughs) class, Uh, no guarantees at this stage. Oh, it's the Daniel G, uh, Daniel G uh, chat about his book, about done deals on football and how transfers work, it's really well timed with all this in mind, that's the reason I've forgotten, it's about three weeks ago in London, went down to see him, lovely fella, like nice officers. Were you waiting for transfer deadline though? Yeah, just the the right moment to put this sort of stuff out, so it's done, it's to come, listeners, uh, do be excited about that uh, and also do be excited about the fact that we're going to have a chat about Liverpool versus Leicester City we're going to do that right now I like that it's turned into one of our meetings where you just try and remember things and then shout them at me <laughs> that's it everyone's that had a little yeah. window there no, into I our lives the thing. he's not recording <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm not I'm not recording it's all a myth uh, Adam um, as a very nervous man mm. um, oh god as my minister for nervousness um, and for the general sort of checking, taking of the pulse, um, how are you after Liverpool dropped two points against Leicester in the same week that Manchester City dropped three points against Newcastle United? Awful. <laughs> are you? It's like, it should be like an AFQ thing. Well, I might come back to me on this one, Neil, because then once everyone else has answered, I might feel slightly better. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been alone with my thoughts all day. How's that gone? Uh, it's all right. I won't, yeah, I, 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 was, I was actually calm about it at the time. I thought during our time, you know, when you're sort of talking about what, what's going on, I was quite calm about the idea of it being a draw because I can sort of remember a few games during Klopp's reign where, and it, I think it correlates with how bad the bench is. I think sometimes when the bench is bad and things, things have conspired in, in, in general, as they, like it felt like they had a bit conspired against us, I think he sort of sometimes... Doesn't take a draw, but is all right with a draw. I think I think his last sub tells you he was all right with a draw. I, and I, I felt I could feel it at half time. I was thinking, I just think, I can't I can't see him doing anything. I can't see him doing anything. Um, throw the you know throw the kitchen sinky in the second half, and I think that will tell its own story. Where he's, you know, and I, and I doubt he even he'll, he'll he'd, he'd say that at half time to his players because he still wants them to go out and do the job. Um, but uh, I, I do, I do think it's one of them. I think, I think the derby last season was a bit like one of them. That's an example I can think of, and maybe probably you know City this season as well. Um, and I, I seem to remember there was there, were, there was um, an away in London where where it was a bit like you know we're down to the bare bones a bit, and the way he is on the touchline, I think he just sort of it it, it it transmits to me that this is this is a day where where we where we take what we have. And, uh, and and we and we roll on. And as you say, I, I, what you were in, indicating with your introduction, we are we we we're, we're better off than we were before this round of games. Um, and just you know, psychologically and emotionally, it might not necessarily feel like it, but um, you know that that's why you need uh, 
that, that that's why you need to sometimes look at the maths instead of the the feelings. Uh, Kira, uh, looking at the maths rather than the feelings, taking it all in, taking it all on board. It was a long night at Anfield. I think one of the things about it was it was really cold, and there's lots of people for whom you know getting getting to go to Anfield's a massive treat, and we should always remember them. And they probably think, oh my god, why are you trying to indicate how cold it was? The hailstorm on the way to the ground was absolutely horrendous. It was freezing cold, but then Liverpool did the thing that they needed to do, and I think that this is a really interesting thing that happens in the game. Kiva is Liverpool score that opening goal, the crowd's roaring them on. Everyone's waiting for the second, almost including the Leicester players, and then it doesn't come, and then they get to settle. And I think that's one of the things that defines how the game ends up playing out. Yeah, it was so cold. I had like 18 layers on just to keep warm. Um, yeah, um, the thing with the game was it, it went on for ages. It felt like it was just never going to end, and it felt like we were never going to score that second goal, the winning goal. Because the scoreboard by me was broke and the yeah, time wasn't was on. Oh my god! I couldn't, yeah. like, I couldn't bear that. I didn't that. know where it was. I didn't know what time it was. What? Yeah, I was fuming at George. It's not his fault. I was blaming him. I could have done it on purpose to try and manage the nerves. Maybe I was oh, going to be one of them people, you know, when you sit what, next to one of them people and stoppage time comes on and they like put the phone on timer. Have you ever sat by one of them people? Absolutely. <laughs> them people exist. How That's is Rob good idea? Yeah. <laughs> I like a little timer. Yeah, Rob was bad at half time again. I was going to be that person. Person for everyone by me, but I didn't. You chose not to be. Uh, Rob, watch. Yeah, he was bad at half time again. <laughs> and I said, "Remember Palace?" And it was fine. And then he said, "Yeah." And then calmed down a bit. And then today he was cross with me. He said, "You told me it will be fine." He's, he's like almost upset with you. Um, yeah. It was the conditions, John, were terrible. Um, and I think it does it does play a bit of a part in that. You know, it's obviously the same for both teams, but. You know, it, it seemed as though they, I felt they coped with it better. Certainly when they bedded in, I felt from 15 minutes onwards, I thought when, when they bedded in quite nicely, got their partner playing, knew what they were about. I thought all Brighton was great for them, and that's certainly a thing I've taken from it watching it back. But they had four or five excellent performers on the night, Leicester. Yeah, I think the individual performances, um, they could argue that they certainly had the better ones. I think, I think what they were trying to do was maybe a little bit more straightforward, and maybe that's why... Um, they they found it kind of easier with the conditions. I don't know, and I'm not sort of damning them there. I'm just saying, there's a few times early we tried to go back to the keeper, and and, and no one looked very comfortable with it. You know, in terms of Allison didn't look particularly comfortable all night. I didn't think, um, and I think you know the conditions were a big sort of part of that. And then he, he had a couple of nervy ones, and then and then I think that that didn't really help us in terms of us kind of settling and us kind of getting into our rhythm really, but. I don't know. It, I mean, it's hard to say, isn't it? If if you know another night, would we have played any better if it had been you know a nice sort of late January evening? I don't know. Maybe it was just a night where too many lads didn't have a good game. They looked out of rhythm, Joel, and that's one of the things about these little breaks. I wonder if you see actually see the benefits of these little breaks three weeks ahead, three weeks on. You get the benefits of the break. Maybe immediately after it, the lads themselves they're not they've been going game, 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 and then suddenly yeah. it's ten days. Sun's on the backs, riding bikes in centre parks in Dubai. We all know how important it is for this team to have rhythm and momentum on its side, and it just clearly looked like that wasn't the case. I think that less had the same break than because they, they they played Wolves and then they had, they didn't have, they yeah. went in the FA Cup, so. Definitely at the break, work better for them. I think it was just one of those nights. I think it's one of them. I don't think we've had many of those moments this year, many of those games, where it's just one of them, where you've got, kind of got to write it off. Can I uh, say about the Dubai thing? Because do you know when you come back from a holiday and you're dead tired, mm. so you need a holiday to get over a holiday? Oh, yeah. This is like my theory. Like I don't think they should go on these holidays, maybe. Is, is or that first you, I mean, back, I'd like to go to Dubai for like, I don't think it's technically book. a holiday. Like, I don't think that's what they call it. I reckon they feel like they were working. You know, like I try and do when I go to America with Neil. 
There was a theory. Where? Where, Claude? There was a theory near me that, that uh, they should have gone to Benidorm because Dubai is too hot, <laughs> and Benidorm's only half as hot. Yeah, wasn't Kev. Yeah. Uh, well, there was also my my dad was really cross last night. Um, and he was saying basically, you know, it was it was too nice, and then they've come back and can't cope with the weather. Said they should have been on Jericho, which is a very egg-specific joke. I don't even know if he was joking. He might have been real. The, the um, it's windy Jericho. <laughs> like uh, it, the, the the alternative would be to do like um, you know Siberia or yeah. something, you know, somewhere really horrible. Yeah, and then come back and it feels lovely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they could have done that. Getting back to the game. Uh, getting back to the game. Uh, getting back to the game, Joel. It was a game of it was a game of big moments, really. When you say there's a couple of things really where a couple of times I just actually think it was going to feel like one of the ways games have been going for us recently. Like for instance, you know, Leicester come out second half, good opportunities, loads, loads and loads of momentum, and then I thought you saw them actually dip a little bit, and I thought, right, here we go, that's the start of their dip. But their dip plateaued, and again, maybe that's because they have had the ten day break. I thought they actually, you know, they, they're still on the rack. I think at the very end of the game, they're still hanging, they are getting to the point they are beginning to hang on for dear life. But you didn't see them go the way sides had gone against us early in the season. But there are big moments right the way through it. Madison's big miss. And again, we've had a few of those this season where the big moments have gone in our favour and here they just didn't. Yeah, of course. And that extends to, to refereeing decisions as well. I think we have we have had a number of penalties recently and maybe one or two were suspect and, and gone in our favour. And last night they didn't. Which, and uh, the, uh, everyone says these things even else over the season. And maybe we've got an example of that last night. But I, I don't. I, f- I feel like Leicester the whole second half. I think they're always in control. Actually, I, I I never felt like we had them on the rack at any point. I was more conscious of Vardy having that much space to to exploit. I I, I just feel when we started off the first five minutes, I thought it's going to be one of those nights. We're, we we're going to stick two or three past these, and I kind of felt like the players maybe bought into that and maybe got whether complacent or just tired. I don't know, but it, it took got the first ten minutes out of the way. Leicester, I felt were always in control of that game. It's, I don't know if it's, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a red card for Maguire, Adam. Uh, I think that's one where you've got to, it's one of them. I, you can see them given, you can see them not given. Uh, for me, it is a foul on Salah in the box, uh, in that I can understand sometimes you run into someone in the penalty area, but if they also elbow you in the face, they elbow you in the face, and that's a thing. Um, At the very least, it's obstruction. Yeah, I can. Do they? No, no, but it is. It is, but I think it's also getting elbowed in the face. And yeah, I, I haven't seen it back, but it looks like a forearm smash. Um, and the Kaita one is is a penalty, and that's yeah, where... I mean that one's right in front of me, and it's a penalty. It is a penalty. A penalty. I couldn't believe he didn't give it. Yeah, I, just, I, I mean, but by that stage, I'm already you know hoarse from screaming at the referees as per. But like you know, it was it 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 almost felt like have have we have we have we been screaming at him that much now that he's not going to give us anything at all. But I don't know. I just wish it, I, I wish we didn't have to think about so much context around referees because there is tons and it really does my head in that they can't just give what's happening. Um, you know, it was it it, it was obvious that that he, he was already going doing the no penalty signal before Salah had hit the deck. It, you know, it was he was desperate to not give that one, and I know that's daft. But I mean, everybody I'm sure is listening will agree he was desperate. Um, I I just I, I don't know I don't know it it it, it does it, it winds me up no end um, because that 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 Kaiser one was it was the key moment of the game and and it's really unlucky for Kaiser too because it's it's he needs a bit of luck I think mm. he needs a bit of not necessarily luck but 
the, the, I said it in the first half where he, where he, he has a he has a run and he's you know he, he's he's one he's one unlucky bobble away from 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 being through. It looks like I'm, it's up the other end for me and I haven't seen it back. And I said then he just needs he just needs something to go for him a bit and. You know that that's one there where it has he's done he's done well I say he's done everything right he actually should probably shoot before he's before um, he, he 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 could maybe if he was feeling a little bit more confident or I don't know what his or what his weaker foot's like but he could get the shot away by the look of it before he gets uh, his 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 ankle stood on but he, I mean or, or taken out and you know but he does the red card one I think there's a, I think there's a conversation probably to be had about that but it's maybe more of a a wider conversation about the rules because it, it it strikes me at the minute that there's a lot of these, especially with Man City, where there's professional fouls being being done not in the places where professional fouls are, are seen as being done, and 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 you know it, it that was that was an example of it. Just do it dead early, but we you know we're through. There's two others. There's two others there with him. It looks a great chance. The ball's got the ball isn't going the right way, so that's why he's not given. He's 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 miles away from the goal, so that's why it's not given. Uh, and there's, you know, I can't remember if there's anyone else back defending. No, covering. No, but I just think it, I think there's probably that there's possibly a discussion to be had about rule changes there. Uh, Kiva, there's within the game Liverpool selection in the first place. Uh, managers forces 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 his own hand to press Henderson into service at right back. Um, obviously, didn't feel as though he had Fabinho anywhere near as fit as he'd like. Had to give him a period of time uh, on the bench, but did use him as he came on. Um, what did you think of his subs? The timing of them, the decision. What did you think of doing Fabinho, uh, Fabinho and Lalana for Shakiri and Kaiser at the moment he chose to? Um, I think Fabinho when he came on he looked really good. I'm not sure what time it was again because the scoreboard was off and I totally don't know what time they came on. I was a little bit surprised it's to about see nine o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah I, was, I was really surprised to see Sturridge come on, and I felt like he, he did. He had a couple of little goes, didn't he? But that I feel like he come on well too late. I feel like. Whatever time that was, because still I don't know, still don't know what time it was. <laughs> but I, d- I don't know. Was Arigi was on the bench, wasn't he? Arigi was on the bench, but he brought Sturridge on ahead of him in, in that game, and maybe it's because you can look at what Sturridge has done in the past against Leicester that he thinks. So I'll give him, a, I'll give, I'll have a little look at him there. I, I said afterwards, I wonder whether, and, and it wasn't me disagreeing with with the Klopp's decision or the medical team, but having seen how good Fabinho was when he came on, I wonder whether Klopp had a bit of a, a regret himself that he hadn't just gone. Oh, he's starting. Because he could have done something completely different there, couldn't he? We could have had Henderson in midfield, or we could have had Fabinho in midfield. Um, and and as I say, I'm not sort of laying the blame or anything um, with with that decision. Although I think you know Klopp probably didn't have his, his greatest night ever. I just think I wonder whether he might maybe thinks um, oh, I just I just wish I'd just said I'll well, just go on lad, start. Yeah, because he's done that before, hasn't he? he yeah. he's done it before where he's gone. No, this is how I want to play and and. You know, you're gonna to have to sort of get through it, really. Um, yeah, the right back thing didn't really work. I think the Lana one was was more frustrating for me. I think because I think you could see why he was thinking with Henderson at right back, and and Henderson had some decent moments in the game. He was just he just sort of struggled. I thought Kaiser was playing all right as well when when he came off. So this is my thing. Was terrible. That's my thing on the time and Kaiser. Yeah, my thing on the time was I think that Kaiser was just. So I think I, it's one of them where really sometimes we forget that managers like they have. Time constraints, so like themselves. So he's probably thought at half time, right? I'm doing Shakiri and Kaita. At some point, I'm going to do Shakiri and Kaita. Like he's almost made that decision at half time, and then the game's playing out. And I think he's maybe not quite. 
you know, again, it's something as simple as he's on the other side of the pitch to it. Yeah. He hasn't got the, he hasn't got the video analysis, and he hasn't got the, the view from the sky or anything like that. He doesn't you know, know what time it is. Got, <laughs> no, I don't know what time it is. Uh, no, and, and I just sort of wonder if he thinks, you know, what I was going to do them, I'll do them, and I, and that's not to, I say it's not to criticise him because I think it's really hard that the game's sort of moving on in his own mind. He's thought, well, these are the ones I'm doing, but I actually would like to have seen another five minutes minimum of Kaita Joel because I did begin to feel as though he was just beginning to find little bits of space and he was just beginning to exploit it. And he, he was driving with the ball, you know, he, he was someone who was trying to pick that lock. And I, I thought was, I kind of got to the stage with Kite a couple of weeks ago where I was kind of saying, well, what are we going to see from him? You know, is he going to show away from this season? And last night was got me a bit more hopeful about him. I don't know whether, I can understand maybe Klopp has decided he's going to take him off on 66 or 70, but I, I just don't know whether maybe we've, we've sort of nipped his flow a bit there. I don't know how much good that'll do for him in the next couple of weeks. Because, you know, he could have been the match win last night. Obviously, if he, he was taking that shot earlier or he got the pen, he could have played a big part in, in, in winning that game for us. And who knows that maybe if he stayed on, would he have just maybe gone in off his arse or something? I don't know. But I mean, he might be... I mean, they, they started dealing with him and the sports scientists and stuff like that. And the, 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 maybe they think that he's only got a, a 70 in him at the moment playing... You know, for this Liverpool team, maybe maybe they don't feel he's he's quite kind of you know up to speed in terms of terms of where he could be because he's he's been kind of so in, a, in and out. But but then you think Lallana looks nowhere near, does no, he? And and maybe he just, he's just doing them both at the same time. Sorry to interrupt, but like yeah. I'd have liked to see him in there with Fabinho for a minute. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that he very rarely does doubles as well. Yeah. So he's chosen to do the double. He doesn't actually do them as often as you as you think, Joel. So it is it is strange to see him do it. But uh, yeah, in many senses, it sort of added to the, the the fact that it felt like just a little bit of a strange night when you were saying before a little bit of an off night, a little bit of an unlikely an, an unlikely night at Anfield across the board. I think everyone was off to be honest. Play a players that copped obviously done his best nights, but. I also think the fans fans were off. I, I'm, Freezer, mate. Yeah, I, I didn't I know what time I, it was. <laughs> <laughs> don't make excuses for us. I don't want to criticise too much, but I just feel like th- these lads have earned being able to be shit for a game and have us cheer up and support them and not be shit with them. A lot of the R fellas around me were going back to the fault of you know, criticising Allison for trying to try and play the ball out, calling us bottlers and that kind of thing. We were all nervous, obviously, because it's such a big night. But I don't, I don't know. I, I think that these lads have ever earned their stripes of us. I don't think they got from us last night. Van Dijk's told everyone to pack it in today. Has <laughs> he? What's he said? Girl, yeah, he has. Yeah, he said. He said sometimes it does tran- transmit to the players. Not me, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about you losers. Yeah, or the other lads. Worry about them. Some sometimes. of the humans, possibly. He <laughs> <laughs> gave, gave his nose a big blow. Final whistle, Van Dyke. It was, it was, it was, it was, that was my takeaway from the post. But Van Dyke was like, "Thank God that's over. I can give me nose a big blow." Um, I, I mean, I, I do think that there is something in possibly it that it seems as if Dubai didn't go as, as well as it could. It, it like for different reasons. The fact that they've come, I think they came back a day early. I think, and it was there was a lot of murder. Well, yeah, but they, I mean, that's so sometimes happens, doesn't it? They, like, you know, they, yeah, but like, there's there's a players that I was expecting to be back. Well, I mean, players. I'm t- talking about Joe Gomez, and, and like they've suddenly they're worse injured, and there's two of them or three of them that are, that have got ill. I don't know. And, it's always and, trouble over like a kissy, isn't there on all of these? <laughs> <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. You don't know. Maybe Bellamy <laughs> went. We don't know. An absolute murder uh, with everyone. Are you, are you feeling better after our chat? Five points clear, Adam. Five points clear on the first of February. I mean, I, I, I sort. I, I guess I just feel. I, I, I feel fairly calm. I just sort of feel neutral, chaotic, I, I neutral. I saw a tweet that might help you. 
So I don't know who to buy. Whoever done it, well done. My mum actually told me about <laughs> it, so I didn't actually see it. Just you get a chance, through. listen to Daft Punk's Get Lucky. <laughs> Sound, <laughs> of Sound of the Summer. Yeah, no one had said basically if, could have been by anyone of you, so I don't know. Um, if Man City would have played last night and we would have played the night before, we got a draw, then they get beast. You look at this in a whole other light. You're feeling well more positive. Even if City had won and we'd won, everybody would probably feel fine. Because, yeah. but, and, and we'd be one point less less well off than we if are. If we draw on the life, Tuesday and then they get beat on a Wednesday, you know. There's a incisive football commentary from John Gibbons. <laughs> if you want more of that sort of thing, we're doing three live shows in Ireland. Uh, we're doing three live shows in Ireland in March. Uh, it's the weekend of... There's an international weekend in March and we're going over to Ireland uh, on the Friday. Keepers, uh, lads. Uh, yes. Friday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, I mean, to be honest, the Sunday one will have its charms. Uh, the Nick will be in. Will be. Will. I mean, will 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 be interesting. Um, so it's Friday to see as fresh as daisies. Saturday to see us really hit our straps, and Sunday to see us be broken men and messes uh, trying to trying to push right the way through the mighty boys in red. But tickets are on sale from nine a.m. on Friday morning. Uh, the place to get them from is the venue but if you just go to our social media stuff you'll be able to find them in there if you subscribe there's the newsletter that'll also link to it but all the obvious places you're excited yeah i'm really excited it's the first time we've done like a tour so like we've done back like to back tour, tour. yeah yeah back to back nights yeah so obviously where we go when we go to america we do we do like two or three we did three last time but you know there's a bit of a gap this is like this is the boys on the road Yep, there's a van and everything. I know, looking wow. forward to it. Driving us places. Very kind of pulling over to go to the toilets. All the time. Yeah. Yeah, Probably unnecessary. Uh, also, uh, on your weekend, a happy birthday, Craig. Uh, this no, comes out on Craig's boy. birthday. Uh, what a lovely young man he is. Anyway, this has been the Anfield Rap. I hope you got the vibe of, ah, uh, isn't life mad there, from our conversation <laughs> about last night's game against Leicester City, and that it was really cold, and that the clock broke, and that sometimes <laughs> things don't quite go as planned. Uh, it's all you can ask for. It is the Anfield Rap. We've got Rory Smith. We've got Daniel Gay. We've got Cop. Kenya, we've got everything that you could ask for. It's all to come, and then we'll have a lovely big chat about West Ham. Football Flash Quiz, the Football Flash, the app which aggregates football supporter club based news for you. The Liverpool stuff's great. As I say, I always have a couple of other clubs on there as well. Change it sometimes, change it around, see what they're all up to. Uh, but we run a quiz uh, based upon football news where if our contestant, in this case, Sonal Ratata, gets himself eight right, he wins a piece of Anfield app merchandise, uh, which is also available through Shopify. If you haven't had a little look, do do so. So, Sonal, first, before we get stuck into the eight questions, how are you feeling about the draw now that we've had a bit of time to percolate? Um, if we'd played before then and got a draw and they'd lost afterwards, I think we'd be seen a bit more positive. But I think people just need to get a little bit of perspective. We're still five points ahead of it's February. It's not a bad position to be in, really. It's a position we would have all have taken. I think it's, it's worth saying that, but sometimes it can be frustrating, can't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, should we, have a, should we do our, our questions then? Uh, number one, uh, who was Liverpool's final substitution last night? Oh, two at the same time. No, that, just stop on the first. What was the first one you said? Storage. Storage. It was indeed storage. Uh, he did. Sha- he did Shakiri off and uh, Kiter off for Fabino and Lallana at the same time earlier. But storage is the right answer. Um, who is Liverpool's most expensive January transfer of all time? Virgil. It is indeed Virgil. Two from two. Who scored the equaliser for Leicester last night? Harry Maguire. It was. Uh, some reports suggest that Liverpool could make a last-minute move for which Paris Saint-Germain midfielder? Rabiot. It is Rabiot. Uh, which former Liverpool man uh, looks like he's going to sign for Burnley today? 
It is indeed five from five. Which Man United midfielder is on the verge of signing for Chinese side Shandong Lueng? <laughs> it is indeed Marouane Fellaini. Arsenal have signed which Barcelona midfielder on loan until the end of the season? He's a very transfer orientated, but I suppose it's that day. Uh, Dennis Suarez. It is Dennis Suarez. Uh, who did Barcelona beat 6-1 on the second leg of the Copa del Rey quarter-final last night? Sevilla. Is right. Absolutely flying. Uh, that is eight already in the bank. Uh, Neil Lennon has left his job of which Scottish side? It is. And how many goals has Salah scored in the league so far? 16. Phenomenal work. That is 10 out of 10, son. Straight to the top of the pops. <laughs> I mean, for, is this is you just said to me off air, but I'll say it on air. Is this what you've been doing with your paternity leave? Yeah, that's correct. I just had a little boy. So you've you be getting on top of all the footy, have you? <laughs> In between sleeps, yeah. Uh, excellent, excellent. Well, thank you very much indeed, and we will get that piece of merchandise with you. If you haven't downloaded the football that's flash good. app, uh, do so. Uh, Son will give uh, Lizzie an email. I know she set it all up with you. We'll sort all that out. Uh, get stuck into football flash if you can. Uh, thanks very much to Son. It was a pleasure. John Gibbons spoke to Nish from Cop Kenya. Yeah, he was slightly disappointed to get me. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. He was like, oh, "I thought Mel might be doing it." I was like, "Sorry, mate." <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good to know how how big Mel is in Africa, though. Well, she she's incredible. Yeah, like I mean, it's just you know, we we love her here too, but it's good to know that Africa's proud of her up to the point of me disappointing people by interviewing them. <laughs> But did the interview go well? Because I feel yeah, like yeah. set people up for disappointment. I'm like, no, like this once, is going to be hard. He's going to be miserable he, about it all. One word answers. Once he got over the fact that he's, he got, he got to meet Mel. He got to meet Mel. Got a picture of Mel. But once he got over the disappointment of me, uh, we were like, excellent stuff. I feel like my dating history. Uh, should we go over? <laughs> Let's crack on. It's John Gibbons now, and I am delighted to be joined by Nish, who's coming to see us. He's from Cop Kenya, um, over obviously for the game and um, to enjoy Liverpool, but. Coming today to talk about what an exciting thing you've got coming up. Um, so first of all, welcome. Thank you so much. It's very nice to be here. Um, I mean, we're recording this the day after the Leicester game, which a little bit of a disappointing result, drop points. But I mean, first of all, on the Reds, they're still looking so strong this season, aren't they? Absolutely. Five points uh, ahead at the top of the table. One more than what we had last week. And that's all we got to do, right? Just keep ahead of uh, City, even though... Uh, we're not necessarily looking at what they're doing. We're just focusing on our game one at a time. So that's uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it is a fantastic position to be in, you're right. And Cop Kenny in a nice position as well in that um, you've got a big event coming up. It's LFC's first kind of LFC World Tour to go to Africa and to your city. That must be exciting. Absolutely. We, we're over the moon. Um, Liverpool Football Club have all kinds of choices in Africa to go to. They could have gone to Egypt, Mosales from there. Yeah. They could go to Mon- Morocco. They could go to West Africa. South Africa has got a huge, huge following. Sure. And uh, we're just super excited that they chose uh, Nairobi to come to over and above all these other, other places. So we're completely over the moon. Can't wait to, can't wait to actually host them. So, um, yeah, the event's in, in February. Um, you've got Vladimir Schwitzer, Sammy Hoopier, John Barnes coming over. Is that correct? That's correct. That's, I mean, there's a lot of, lot of trophies amongst the three of them, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of appearances, quite a few goals as well. Quite a few goals. I'll be, John, this will be John's second visit, at least okay. that I know of, because um, I met him the last time he was there. And uh, I think I weirded him, weirded him out a little bit because I kept on looking at his boots to see if the chalk was still on. <laughs> By the time he would hug the touchline. Uh, but it was really good to to hear that he's coming over. I, I, I presume he had a little bit to do with it, uh, having had an experience in uh, Kenya before. 
And we're just, uh, we're so grateful to Standard Chartered, Western Union, and some of the other sponsors who have made this happen for us. It's like a dream come true for a lot of um, African Red supporters who find it very, very difficult to come up, uh, who can only dream about going to Anfield yeah. to, to view the game live. Um, and so we rely on satellite TV and we rely on bars and things like that and, and Twitter and you guys to give us the news. So that's that's it's it's like a dream come true, literally. I mean, there are all these trophies, all these appearances, all these goals coming down at one time. And they'll be in Kenya for a couple of days. Is that what you would like me to speak about? Of course, what they're yeah. Going to be doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so they're coming over midweek. And uh, the two days that have been cordoned off specifically for all Cop Kenyans, all, all fans of, of, of uh, football per se, uh, to visit with them are the 23rd and 24th of February. Uh, which is the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And I believe we have a big match against Manchester United on <laughs> 24th of February. So we'll be watching that with the legends. Awesome. And they're going to be, um, it's a school called St. Mary's School. It's a, it's a very, very old and established uh, establishment in Kenya, um, in Nairobi. And, and we will be at the grounds of the school. Uh, security checks and et cetera have all been done apparently by, by Liverpool Football Club and the, the powers that be who organize all this. So we're, we're really looking forward to it because after the open day, when the, the two days are open days, uh, during which time they will perhaps run some soccer academies. They'll be partaking in some of the, the drills and the training from, for local uh, sports uh, institutions and, and schools that, that focus on soccer. So that'll be, that'll be what will happen during the day. And as soon as uh, we get to around 5 o'clock uh, Sunday, which will be round about the kickoff time, we have a massive screen in the middle of the school ground, the three legends will be there. And then as, from what I know, there are about 3,000 people expected on wow. the Sunday itself. They're registered. Uh, and that does not only include Reds. There will be some uh, Man U fans as well who come and partake in the celebrations. Yeah, and what does it mean to you in terms of... I mean, obviously, you're, you're lucky enough to be in Liverpool this week, but as you say, uh, a lot of the fans who are in Nairobi might might not have come, might, might kind of never come. So... It's that closeness that the Liverpool are bringing, aren't they? It's by by coming over, it's saying that you know you, you might be kind of thousands of miles away, but it's kind of one family, if you like, and and that's kind of what these these trips kind of bring, isn't it? It is absolutely, and and for them to choose Kenya, as I said, above mm. the other the other locations, is it's massive. Um, there's a huge following, uh, perhaps in terms of numbers, I would say Arsenal fans are, are higher in number really? in Kenya than, than the, 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 the Reds or even Man U fans. But we have a, we have a following that's growing uh, and it obviously helps when the team is playing well because that, <laughs> that then increases the younger fans coming up. But it's, a, it's, it's amazing to feel part of the family. It's amazing to be closer to uh, Liverpool Football Club with the kind of uh, initiatives they've come up with, uh, especially this particular one, which is massive, massive for us. Um, and I believe we get a little bit of uh, personal time with the with the three legends as well at some point as Cop Kenyans as the the Liverpool Supporters Club Cop Kenya, uh, and that will be a huge boost for the members. It'll be a huge boost for fans in general, and it's it's just a win win all round for football for for Kenyans for everybody. So. I mean, you're, you're the secretary of Cop Kenya. I'm interested in what a normal kind of match day looks like. Obviously, this is a big, huge event. But if, if Liverpool are playing on a Saturday, three o'clock, kind of, what, what, what's a normal match day for you? So um, the Cop Kenyans, uh, the Nairobi-based Cop Kenyans, will meet up at a place called The Node, uh, which is uh, in Westlands. It's a part of Nairobi called Westlands. It's a, 
it's a fairly middle to upper middle income uh, sort of part of town and uh, this bar uh, the node uh, they um, one of the committee members who's very close to them uh, has developed a relationship so when we go there they they run all kinds of deals for us the part the bar is cordoned off for uh, Liverpool fans Great. there are flags everywhere Robbie Fowler was in the country a couple of weeks ago and he signed this uh, this one uh, uh, flag to Cop Kenya so that's been put up on a placard right on the wall it's Amazing. a permanent place in the bar um, and there'll be all kinds of Jurgen Klopp comments and, and photographs and f- ba- banners and flags all over the place for the match and they'll run bog off deals on, on pizzas and food and, and buckets of, of beer and what have you and we'll easily have, depending on the game, we'll easily have anywhere between 30 and 150 people in the bar at that time supporting the, 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 the club in the match. Um, and when, a, when the game is a bigger game, then there'll be rival fans there as well, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man U. Uh, and it, the atmosphere is just absolutely electric. It's fantastic. We sing the same songs that you do in <laughs> Anfield. Um, and we uh, we are stat crazy like most <laughs> Liverpool fans are well informed, um, and you can imagine that that when you come in there, you just feel like you're you're in Anfield. It's yeah. like as if you're coming into an atmosphere where it's it's friendly. It's it's got good banter. There's a lot of a lot of competition, obviously, when the the game is going on. But at the end of the day, we shake hands and smile and 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 you know promise to come back for the next match so yeah but it's that kind of i mean we've spoken to been lucky enough to kind of meet different sports clubs around the world and 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 spoke to a few of them in here and it's that kind of communal activity of watching football which is kind of makes it so special really isn't it you know you can you can sit at home and watch it and 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 enjoy it but football i think is meant to be watched together it's meant to be watched singing the songs and, and enjoying the kind of the 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 experience of it rather than just kind of what's going on on the tv and when you watch it with other fans it's that yeah. much more fun, yes. Um, and to and since you mentioned the time of three p.m. in the afternoon, so it's three p.m. Your kickoff. It'll be anywhere between five and six, depending on whether it's winter or the summertime for us for, for uh, in England. So mm. it'll be between two and three hours. And if it's an earlier earlier part of the day, then there'll be kids, there'll be family members, yeah. there'll be you know there'll be it'll be a whole communal. Uh, gathering. I wish you had seen the Champions League final. There were more than 350. They were turning people away at the wow. door. There was not enough parking. There were all these kind of good things, yeah. good problems to, to deal with on that particular day. So yes, it is It is superb. We hope that you can come down. Uh, if you're thinking about coming down for LFC World on the 24th, uh, 23rd, 24th of February, please do. Uh, we won't watch the match at the Node on that day. We'll be with the Legends. But you know, if you get a chance to, please come over and experience it for yourself. It sounds absolutely amazing, and 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 what kind of experience? And I've watched a couple of games with Liverpool play ex Liverpool players, and uh, the temptation's always there. I don't know if you've thought about it to go. What are they doing wrong here, John? Or whatever. I don't know if you've. I don't know if you thought about that. You're going to ask Sammy Hoopier about about Virgil Van Dijk and what he's doing, and and John Barnes what the forwards are doing. Have you thought about that? Uh, we did. We did. In fact, as I said, when when Robbie Fowler was down, we yeah. watched one of the what we watched the Watford game. Yeah. And at halftime, it was nil nil. And so, you know, the questions, obviously, because he had a little panel set up on the podium and, right. and they were asking it during halftime, uh, what do you think is going wrong? What, what do you think they can change? And, he's, and it is the same question that you're saying. Uh, you do feel like asking it yeah. and he will tell you this is what I think is going to happen. And then suddenly it does happen that way. And then he, <laughs> when he's signing my shirt, he says to me, remember I told you we're going to win? <laughs> Three nil up. We won. So it's really good. It's, it, it, there is that temptation, yes, but... I think what, what having legends there do is uh, the, the younger fans 
who look up to this, who have, who've seen the videos of them, who've seen John Barnes' shimmy against QPR, that's a, that's a signature move of his for a long, long time. So they, they look at that and they get inspired, and that's what we want. We want yeah. the next Victor Wanyama, uh, who is Kenyan, who was, who was playing in the Premier League. We want the next Victor Wanyama to come through. We want the next Divokorigi, who has got Kenyan roots. His father is Kenyan. So we want those kind of things to come to, to come into fruition in the future and that will just bring us that much more closer to the Premier League to Liverpool Football Club really exciting event I bet you can't wait uh, to host everyone and, and as you say the experience especially for the younger fans is going to be unbelievable uh, huge thanks to Nish for joining us from Cop Kenya to let us know um, some fantastic LFC world are doing but yeah great stuff I'm back to Neil I spoke to Rory Smith earlier today um, did, you, did, did I bore you about the fact that four of the top six um, all drop points over the weekend. Uh, oh, sorry, over the game week, uh, and week. all against sides in the bottom, the bottom fourteen. And it struck me when it happened that it's almost certainly the first time it's happened this season. Given the fact that, well, it, it must be the first time it's happened this season because we haven't Spurs at any stage scraped through as well. Didn't Spurs it? only just scraped through, and even uh, Arsenal's win was hard fought, albeit with a late uh, Arsenal goal, a, a card of consolation. Uh, but theirs was only two one, and I thought this was really interesting. And I thought, you know, who else will find this interesting? Rory Smith. And then I messaged him this morning and said, Rory, do you want to have a chat about this? And he came back with yes, exclamation mark, which made me think he was thinking it as well. And he mentions that on this call now. Should we do it? Yeah. yeah. Rory Smith to talk about the fact that the top six, four of them, four of the top six failed to beat sides from the bottom 14, the now much fabled, much discussed bottom 14. Uh, Arsenal and Tottenham both got tight victories against the bottom 14, uh, albeit Cardiff's last minute sort of consolation goal, uh, Tottenham having to come from behind. Rory, it's been a season where the top four, the top six, uh, now you can add Manchester United into that, but certainly that top five, uh, you know, there's been long unbeaten runs for Arsenal, for Liverpool, for Manchester City, for Tottenham. There's been an unbelievable sort of return. Tottenham's less so, but they've been brilliant against the sides beneath them. And then all of a sudden, in this Tuesday and Wednesday set of games, after the fourth round of the FA Cup, four of them drop points and the other two games are tight. Yeah, do you know what? Mid, until until that Spurs winner went in on Wednesday night, I was I was about to tweet asking when the last time that five of the top six had failed to win in the same round of games when they weren't playing each other because that can't have happened for a long time. No. Then, then obviously Spurs go a nickel winner and it, and it changes it and it becomes an even more boring tweet than it would have been in the first place. So I decided not to do it, which with Twitter is always the best way. Don't tweet. But the um, yeah it. What's really interesting about it is that so Liverpool struggled despite having had about three weeks off <laughs> because they've been in Dubai on holiday. And City struggled despite having won their previous six games four million to nil or something. <laughs> and you've got, you know, Arsenal United played, played in, in the Cup on the Friday, so they had plenty of break. You've got all these different kind of circumstances. And if, if, say, if Liverpool had won, you might be able to say, right, well, that's obviously, that shows the benefit for, the, you know, for having a break in January and having this sort of impromptu, brief winter break. Uh, but they don't. And if City had won, then maybe you could have said, well, that shows the benefits of, of keeping, you, keeping your rhythm and, and keeping going and getting into that kind of groove that you, you get into when you're winning lots of games. But as it is, it just felt like, I don't know, it either for, it's either, and this is not particularly helpful, it feels like either... One, one of those things and there's not really an explanation for it City had a difficult game away at Newcastle Leicester played really well at Anfield um, you know Man United were maybe due a little bit of a whatever the opposite opposite of a bounce is because you know having won eight on, on the spin you, you're going to get a kind of blip of some sort 
So maybe it's just one of those things, just a coincidence, they all happen to come in the same week. Or I wonder if it's it's a sign that maybe the second half of the season won't be quite as flat-track bully-dominated as the first. I think our, our noble friend Phil Blundell has been keeping a tally on and off of the number of points that the top six have dropped against the, the other 14. And at one point it was none, and, and then by December it was like three or something to Spurs lost at Watford. And I wonder if maybe that particular meme will not be quite as um, relevant in the second half of the season. Is there a question? One of the possible explanations to me, for me, is the way managers are trying to plan a campaign, the way they're trying to plan a season, in terms of when the sides peak physically. And one of the things that occurs to me is, for instance, I think Liverpool, Liverpool's record, and this is completely anecdotal and could be proven wrong immediately with facts, but hmm. Liverpool's record in my mind, whenever you find out Liverpool have gone on an extended break, the first game back doesn't feel great. And it often that be put down to rhythm, but one of the things I wonder is whether or not, obviously that might play a part, but whether or not Liverpool, have the, one of the reasons why they've gone away for the break is because the aim is to get them back at peak fitness come the end of February, Champions League last 16, Champions League last eight, league running. And you just sort of roll with the punches a little bit in this period. And I wonder if that could be the same for a few of these sides where, you know, they almost plan in August that there will be a little bit of a dip come January because we'll be physically either repairing people People or getting them geared up for the big push for three months? Yeah, well, I think it's managers generally talk about either building a side to hit the ground running, which Mourinho always did, and then you you essentially exist on fumes from sort of February onwards, which if you look at the Chelsea, the season Chelsea won the lead under Mourinho last, whatever year that was, I get very confused by what years things happen now. 14-15. 14-15. They, they were brilliant that Chelsea team until January the 1st when they went to White Hart Lane got smashed and then after that you could they just looked exhausted they looked like they were they were they were empty and they they just got over the line and that was a really kind of stark example of the way Mourinho prepares his teams which is you will you will be fearsome for the first five months because then you can establish a lead and you can hang on to it which is very much the, the Mourinho attitude to everything in football whether it's games or seasons Fergie used to like his teams to get better as the season went on so United always started relatively slowly but would by December January February they'd build themselves into a head of steam and go on and win the lead by 14 points or whatever and in both of those scenarios what you're going to get is around January, particularly the end of January, is things are not going to be quite right. You're either going to be still kind of building up to something or you're going to be coming down from something. So I wonder if, if there is a, a a general kind of pattern where there's slightly weird results around this time of year. Um, the weather, I think, is – it sounds really – I know Klopp got criticised um, – when he mentioned the wind at Wolves, I remember thinking during the Everton game at Millwall that it, it was raining a lot at the Den, and it's really hard to play football in the rain. And I, yeah. I, I find it I find it really odd when people, again on social media, sort of say, "Oh, it's pathetic making these excuses." And you think, "Have you ever played football when it's raining? It's really hard." <laughs> it's like it's much harder to play football in the rain than it is in the sunshine. That's or when it's you know when it's not raining. And obviously, yes, it's diff- it's the same for both teams, but. Different teams have different styles of playing and it affects some more than others. So I think I wonder if the weather, certainly Anfield, made a bit of a difference. It seemed the ball seemed to be sticking a load, which confuses everybody. I thought what they did with the pitch, which brings us back to our infamous grass conversation, Neil. Um, I thought what they did with the pitch was probably counterproductive to an extent. Yeah. Because it meant, A, the ball was sticking uh, around Liverpool's defenders, which is a bad thing. And 
also it meant that there was that transition from slow pitch to fast pitch, which is probably, I imagine, quite difficult for a player to deal with whilst dribbling with the ball. But suddenly the surface changes. Oh, I'm on tarmac. Oh, suddenly I'm on ice. <laughs> and the, it's difficult. I mean, as anyone who's tried to walk in the northwest of England recently will be able to tell you. So I think there's, there's lots of kind of extraneous factors, but I do wonder whether the fitness thing that every team kind of dips a bit around this time of year, whatever their coaches are trying to achieve in terms of when their peak fitness is. Uh, and at the end of this long soliloquy, it's always a long soliloquy when I talk to you. Um, I agree with you. I don't. Th- I don't think. I actually don't think those extended breaks suit any team particularly. But I think teams like Liverpool, in particular, do suffer a bit, or seem to suffer a bit, from having a chance to decompress. I'm not sure it's it's a massive benefit. I can see why you wouldn't want a really congested fixture schedule around this time of year. And I actually think City probably played slightly too many games as witnessed by the fact that next week their, their game against Everton has been brought forward, which means they now don't have a week a, a week's break until probably the second round of the Champions League. Yeah. When the week they don't play, they'll have a week off. But And that strikes me as too much. I'm not sure that anyone really benefits from suddenly being given a 10-day holiday. Do you perform at your best when you've at work when you come back off a 10-day holiday because I don't. Well, it is, and this is sort of a, this is a you feel the benefit of it in a month's time conversation yeah. versus a, you know, that you, everyone feels the benefit of it then, but your first day back, you, there is going to be an element of rustiness. It is worth pointing out Leicester had that break as well uh, from a Liverpool point of view, but it, this isn't just about Liverpool. I mean, this is also about the fact that it is an outrageous result for Chelsea to go to Bournemouth and get beat 4-0. I mean, it, as, 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 as interesting and, you know, under-discussed aside as Bournemouth are, to all of a sudden stick four four past Chelsea in this in a second half is is absolutely unheard of. Yeah, it's, that that was a genuinely kind of eye opening result, and I think Sarri might be a little bit lucky that Liverpool and City have both dropped points at the same time, because that will draw the attention. But that is a really kind of troubling result, partly because it shouldn't happen. Or the Bournemouth did they beat them three 0 last year as well around the same time? They have, uh, Bournemouth have got an odd oddly strong record against Chelsea. To be fair. But that that does happen, doesn't it? You get certain teams that play really well against against other teams. I mean, Palace, I would say, with Liverpool would be one um, that that always seemed or seemed for a while to do very well against them. But yeah, Bournemouth do have this strength. I'm sure they've won at Stamford Bridge as well. Yeah, the in the last few years. Yeah, but to, for it, for it to be four is troublingly pathetic. And I think the issue, the extra issue with Chelsea is that they do seem to have this kind of boom and bust approach. And when the players go. They, there's no, re- there's not really getting any getting them back. But the strangest thing with Chelsea is that they started so well under a new manager. They looked brilliant for the first three, four months, and you, you, you knew it wasn't going to last. And that they, you know, I don't think their squad's especially deep. Chelsea, I don't think it's particular. I think there's there's a lot of holes in it where you sort of think, well, actually, those players aren't that good, despite the fact that they play for Chelsea. And you sort of thought, right, they, they probably will fall away. They should finish third or fourth. But there was, they seem to be grasping sort of Sarri's style. The, the, precepts of his play and then it's just kind of imploded since they beat City which is really bizarre but they, they don't beat City and then and you think right actually this Chelsea team are building to something and since then it's been really bad and it, it just has echoes of what I think it's a really par- a really lazy parallel to so he's like Vias Boas or he's like Scolari because it's basically all these foreigners are the same and they all do exactly the same thing in exactly the same way and I don't think that's true but it does look like as has happened under Conte, as happened under Mourinho, as happened under Villas-Boas, as happened under Stellari, as happened to an extent, I think, under Ancelotti, although maybe in a sort of more, more muted way. The, the players have just sort of thought, well, 
no, don't like this anymore, and we, we, we can't make this work. And they've switched off, and I think it's a it's an obvious point, it's one that's been made a million times, but that must in some way be part be down to a, a club culture where the players know that the manager's going to get sacked. That has to be relevant to it, because it, do, it doesn't happen anywhere else nearly as often as it happens at Chelsea. Um, just on the 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 conversation around the you said before about the maybe just literally a little bit less of a flat track bully of a season. Just quickly, one of the the Newcastle performance against Manchester City is is it's either some sort of coming together of it's almost like a solar eclipse thing where everything just sort of lines itself up, or there is a, a an acceptance and an adherence to a plan where you are going to concede. But you go, you know, I think that for instance Leicester recover to from score from conceding early against Liverpool really, really well. And by fifteen minutes, twenty minutes in, they've got a massive foothold in the game. Newcastle takes a bit longer. They're not as good a side as Leicester. The players themselves literally are not nowhere near as good. But they 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 get their own foothold and suddenly they become more of the defining force in the game. I wonder whether or not that that as the season wears on and it almost resets every summer. But sides just almost get a little bit better at getting beaten. Literally the act of not literally losing the game, but whilst you're losing the game, you deal better with the reality that you are losing the game against one of the top sides because you understand you're more experience of it this campaign. Does this make sense? Yeah, I know what you mean. You kind of you, you've you've been around you've been around everybody once ish. And you, you understand that there will be a little bit more intuitively, I guess, that there will be moments where you get your chance or or they show their show their frailties. I think what was inter- what was really interesting about Newcastle was, and I'll be as quick as I can, uh, was that they even in the first half when City had the ball all of the time, Newcastle got into the final third quite easily. They they were making yeah. not even not even half chances, but I think Iosi Perez had a shot that sort of whistled wide. I think Rondon would have got away if he could run at a faster rate than a, a large man walking. And I think, yeah, there were signs maybe relatively early on, apart from the first 15, 20 minutes, that Newcastle maybe could get something out of it. And although I would say it was an exaggeration on the commentary when they said, oh, it's been coming when Rondon scored, I didn't feel like it had been coming at all. You could kind of, you weren't shocked that they had scored. Um, it was a bit more shocking that they went on to win and that City didn't react. The other thing that I think is quite important is that both, the, the way Leicester and Newcastle performed against the top two in the league is was quite similar. The, the, the setups they they went for were quite similar. Both of them have tried it before. Newcastle played that played that way against every top side. And to be honest, it, it occasionally comes close to working. They've 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 held City relatively relatively well in three of the previous last four games. Maybe I think they got smashed once, but. They, certainly earlier this season, they went to the Etihad. They lost two one, and it took a Kyle Walker thunderbolt to do it. The, the, I saw them. I saw Newcastle play Man United about three weeks ago, and it, it was a Dubravka error that let United in, and then and then they get another one on the break. But until then, United hadn't really looked like scoring. Um, Newcastle, I think, know how to play like that, and that's just Benitez obviously knows how to set up a team. Leicester are well designed for playing like that, and Leicester's results are better against the big teams. Their performances are better against the big teams than they are against everybody else because they are in, in, an inherently reactive team. But the thing that I wonder is whether the other 14, in inverted commas, might have, through kind of shared communal experience, they might now have enough of a data set to work out how to stop Liverpool and City much more effectively, which it, it needs a certain amount of time to accrue. And I just want, that's why I wonder if. I think we talked before about the fact that you might need 100 points to win this league. City now can't get 100 points. 98 is their, their limit. Liverpool can get 103, I think. 
but I think we can assume they won't. It looks to me increasing like a 95-point lead more than anything. Um, and I suspect that's because the other 14 will have a bit more luck because they, they've got more of an idea of how to do it now. It's our Reds Bet segment. If it isn't for you, uh, the gambling, by all means, feel free to skip on. Uh, we're partnered with Reds Bet in 2019. Uh, we get to do some work with them, and they do work with lots of fan-based causes and initiatives right the way through the country. Uh, if you've signed up to Reds Bet, make sure you select which Liverpool-based, fan-based initiative you'd like Reds Bet to support with 50% of their profits, i.e. your losses. But as I say, if it isn't for you, it isn't for you, and always be gamble aware. Uh, John, did you see all those bet came in? I did. That was the first thing I was going to mention. 12s, wasn't it? Thirteen to one. Oh, hello. Thirteen to one, and he had Millwall. Really, what a fella! What a fella! Yeah, he had Millwall. Uh, absolutely brilliant. Uh, <laughs> all those bet came in. Uh, great work from John there. You just can't argue with that. I don't think. No, yeah, he's done well. Millwall have beaten the last five Premier League opponents. Uh, have they? Yeah, well, certainly at home. Yeah, that might be a home. That might be at the den. Um, so yeah, so um, decent, decent tipping from Aldo. Rock solid from Aldo there. Um, I mean, we haven't really, John, had a lot of quality time to discuss Millwall versus Everton. So why don't we just kick back, relax, and do it now? Yeah, it was really fun. Um, I liked the fella punching one in. That was a real uh, high point yeah, from from the... what looked like an offside position, but wasn't. <laughs> like I think if they'd have claimed for just one thing, they might have got it. Well, like like you know when when you're bowling, yeah. and you feel like some there's, there's a nick or something or there's an LBW yeah. and the, and and you're just shouting and the umpire's confused and so nothing happens. Yeah, yeah. When it, when it might have been nailed on for one thing or another, but yeah. he just so I think that that and I loved the fact I only found this out afterwards the next day that there was meant to be VAR but there couldn't be VAR but then they kept replaying it back on the screen and that's why the the, the manager was the screaming. manager went mad. That was really get it off. Like, like the ref was like, like honestly, like you know, I mean, you know, we were talking about our scoreboard not working. Yeah, uh, we were, no one was as angry as that Millwall manager. Absolutely brilliant to stop showing the referee <laughs> over and over again and coming off his hands. Yeah, which one yeah. of you was doing that? Yeah, yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. And it had everything you wanted in turn. I mean, I think one of my favourite sporting occasions of the year, you know, to go with the Tour de France and to go with, go with the Ashes and Test cricket and to go with the FA Cup final is Everton getting knocked out of the FA Cup at the fourth round stage. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> the worst at the League Cup. Like the League Cup, like I don't know, they shouldn't even enter next year. Um, they, they've had like a couple of decent FA Cup runs, haven't they? They but have recently. Where I feel sorry, for, genuinely do feel sorry for Blues is the extent to which I feel as though they should start like camping outside the managers pre-season and just saying, just take the League Cup dead seriously, mate. Mm, yeah. It's all we, it's all he wants. Yeah, I've very rarely spoke to an Evertonian who wouldn't just love to get to a League Cup final. Yeah, because they're not going to go down. No, just mate, do the cups. Just really enjoy it and do the cups and the Yeah, it went the way in which it went and. You know, it is it is obviously funny. Last minute last minute winners in the fourth round of the cup from lower division sides will obviously be funny and always against your local rivals. But there is a th- there is a tiny part of me that like I know like I know a seven year old girl who's an Evertonian and she's sound. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean she's gonna have to get used to it. Yeah, she is. Uh, she is indeed. Uh, anyway, let's move along and talk about the odds for this week. So Aldo's gone. Uh, Cardiff, Crystal Palace and Chelsea all to win. Cardiff, Crystal Palace, and Chelsea. So Palace have got Fulham, who won last week. Fought from 2 0 down to 4 yeah, 2 0. They were having a bit of a go and, and seemed to be kind of like. So, and, and Palace, Palace are a funny team. Like, they look good against us. They obviously beat City, but, you know, the the, the, the record is, is, is poor against the teams they kind of should be beating. So I think he's been a bit brave there, although. Yeah, he's been a bit brave there. He's also back on Cardiff to beat Bournemouth. Well, was that before or after Bournemouth won 4 0? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But he's done Chelsea to win as well. So, but Chelsea are at home to Huddersfield. So that's his, that's his banker of his three. Right. He's gone for three homes. He loves three homes, Aldo. Um, yep, yeah, 27 to 4. Okay. 
Yeah. What do you think? I think it's about fair. I think it's about fair. I'm, I'm, I'd be a little bit worried. Um, I'm not sure it's got my money. Okay, I'm that's sure you'll find something that will. Uh, I'm sure I will indeed. Uh, West Ham versus Liverpool. Um, wow, this is one of those betting things that I've started. I'm going to have to commit to. Over two car- over two goals. Yeah. Over three cards. Yeah. Over ten corners. Okay. Fifteen to two. That's not bad. Yeah. I'm not sure about the corners, just because I know a lot of people who bet on corners. I've got no idea how many's a lot. Like I know they happen in games, but I never really add them up. So. Um, but that that feels like decent odds to me. I think there'll be goals. I think there probably will be cards, and and yeah, and, and corners happen in games of football. So we had eight corners. Like there was eight corners in the game versus lose. Leicester uh, last night. Uh, hang on, I'll help you out with Liverpool versus Crystal Palace. I'll get you the corner count. I'll tell you what, eleven corners. Oh, Liverpool so you, versus Crystal Palace. Yeah, so, I'll, I'll go for it. That's that's decent odds. I think uh, interesting and edgy. Uh, approve of all of that. Uh, loads of Mo Salah orientated jibber on here, uh, all the way through everything you could ask for. Mo Salah, uh, nice little one is Mo Salah to score the first and the last goal versus West Ham, eleven to one. Yeah, it's good. That's good, I think, isn't it? I think he's. I think he'll play well. I think he doesn't normally have two tough games in a row. Uh, he's obviously the Premier League top scorer, and I think he. You just we, we talk about the pitch, don't we, in, in the show, and he, he just he just just feels open, and you think he'll like it. It does. Yeah, you do think he will like it. He'll enjoy himself, uh, Mo Salah. Um, other one. Uh, Mo Salah to score in both halves, nine to one. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Because I mean, the other one you're relying on kind of other events, aren't you? Whereas if you just want a back Mo, then maybe the nine to one's a bit better. Nine, the nine to one is a little bit better. Uh, Liverpool to win both halves, five to two. Yeah, I think we'll batter them. Do you I'm not batter? Well, I'm not like not a, not a mad score, but I think we'll I think we'll be like a strong three nil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a strong three nil is what your instinct is. Uh, there is seven to one for four or more goal victory. Liverpool to win by four or more goals. Four, yeah, I mean, nil, five, you you mentioned the kind of the, the, the you know, we, we, we're getting four against them a lot, aren't we? Um, you, you kind of mentioned in the last part. So maybe kind of decent odds as well. Uh, I, I like the most, I think the most Salah ones be fave, both, both halves. Most Salah ones is fave, both halves. Uh, so yeah, as ever with Reds Bet, you know where they are, redsbet.com, if you want to get joined in on, on what's going on there and all of their bits and pieces. And obviously they don't just do Liverpool based stuff as well. There's loads of NFL stuff looking at the course of the weekend, other odds around other games and general live betting, as you'd expect from any sort of websites of that regard uh, you know where they are redsbet.com and as I say if it isn't for you be gamble aware and we shall be back with more stuff in a minute joined by Daniel G to talk about his book Done Deal which gets under the, the hood of football as it runs itself as a business from both a legal perspective arguably an accountancy perspective the way in which the football ecosystem as you've termed it Daniel operates don't be laughing at your own term early it is that's what you put over though the idea of how much all this stuff genuinely interrelates which I think is is what comes through in the book massively as you go from chapter to chapter is that it's not it's not that there's one overall answer to the way in which football operates so many it, there's so many moving parts for people who are running football clubs to have to stay on top of yeah yeah I think that's right and the thing that I I realized quite early on I mean first and foremost I'm a fan that's the point yeah and that's the reason why I got in the industry in the first place and then wanted to write something and do my blogs initially because ultimately the book is trying to just explain how things actually work and it's not like agents are bad or football players only want to get the next move or this billion pound broadcasting yeah. deal everything exactly as you said interrelates and the idea of the book is to not dumb anything down but like drill into a little bit of the detail so that when fans might want to read one chapter or someone else might want to read the chapter on broadcasting rights or transfers that they've got something interesting to be able to read and say um, and actually uh, you know be more than just be like back page of that 
papers talked about 40 million quid transfer why isn't my team doing something like that when actually it's the agent fee it's the image rights deal it's how much the club's earning from such and such all, all of those type of things go into the mix one of the things when you mentioned that the transfers is a really good one is how much work transfers now are and I think that's you, 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 you set that stall out quite, quite early in the book and the way in which you structure it you go from the, trans, you know, the ecosystem into the transfers into the agents and then the clubs yeah, yeah. almost as though that's almost the prioritised way of thinking about this that transfers now I think we still think they're clicks of mice on football manager whereas in reality these, these projects they almost feel like some of them are 6 to 8 to 12 months in the making and more so the way that um, I can't take full credit for one of the agents told me he thought a transfer was like was like five games of 3D chess being played at the same time. Yeah. So if you can imagine just one agent who maybe has five players, he has to know what's going on in the background for every particular club. Director of football, chairman, owner, scout, managing director, manager, whoever it is, needs to know what their intricacies are, how they work together. Multiply that by the 20 Premier League clubs and probably rest championship clubs and then maybe the top three European leagues. Work out what they need work out whether that players can fit in with their wage structure if they're selling someone to bring a gap in the squad and that's just for starters you've got to try and really convince the guy whoever it may be or girl or woman that the person the player that you have is the player that they need and even more so there's another dynamic to it which I don't think a lot of people realise is that a lot of agents don't actually have players Yeah, they're brokering deals because their network is so strong and that's the other thing that I think that don't, a lot of people don't necessarily realise Agents very rarely will pick up the phone, make one call and do a deal. The value in the agent is the 15-year relationship that they've had with that director of football, that when that moment comes, when they need to make that call, they pick the phone up to them. They know more or less they're not going um, to say bullshit them. Yep. That's all right, bullshit them on particular things. But more importantly, that, um, it, that they're not doing it for the sake of it that they're there because actually something could happen and they can get the deal done is the truth and vice versa so that when the clubs agree permission get things done then things move in the right direction pretty quickly so the value is not in the call it's in the 20 years of the things not necessarily happening going through the book you're actually quite you're, you're very pro agents mm-hmm. I think that there's, there's there's still all the cliches around agents and there's, there is this idea of shadowy figures who are working to undermine relationships between footballers and, and, and hierarchies and then footballers and then, and then supporters whereas you're very much you know you basically are of the view so much of this can't happen mm-hmm. if agents mm-hmm. don't exist I think there's a few things. The truth is also, uh, you know, I'm in the position where I work with a lot of agents, so I get to see them day in, day out. The thing that doesn't come across in any type of media generally, and I'm a generally quite a positive person anyway, yeah. so I don't want to be, again, talking about all the nonsense that can go on. I want to actually focus on the good things and the good events and the good stuff that can happen. But the world of agency is an incredibly insecure business in my mind. Not only is it ridiculously difficult to find players and keep them, but every other agent generally will be looking over their back going, can I do this deal or is my player going to go somewhere else? Yeah. And all of the investment, all of the time that's spent to be able to do that, I think generally makes agents, as long as you know, they're doing a great job, it's an incredibly difficult exercise to do well. And anybody that thinks they can just go in and find a player and do a deal, it's like such a, such a basic assumption, it couldn't be, it couldn't be more wrong. Not only have they got to get the relationships with the clubs, keep the relationships with the players, the players' families, the, whatever else it may be, like actually to get a deal done, it's like incredibly difficult. And I only see that probably the last 20% of it, yeah. more or less when the terms have been agreed and then it's time for me to get involved and get on the WhatsApp. 
<laughs> on the WhatsApp, we're going to talk about the WhatsApp on a little separate conversation we're going to have. Just to mention you there, your background is that you said before you've been in the industry now, you've been looking after law within football for, 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 for many years and you've been writing your blog for, for, for about 10, is it now? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And look, I think the point is, is that I could have been blogging about anything. Yeah. Just as like whenever I send an email in my office, it's not like I'm anybody else doing a different type of job. Actually, what I'm talking about is looking over a contract, phoning someone on the phone, doing a WhatsApp message, meeting someone for a meeting, going, instead of I'm going to another place, I'm going to a stadium or I'm going to a training ground. So I'm not doing some things quite yeah, you know, sort of mythical. Um, it's very like specific in looking over a contract and doing whatever I need to do on a daily basis really but you know all of that stuff all of my blogs has been more or less just geared towards ultimately trying to get more involved in the industry and doing the job that I love which is you know working in football you try to not just focus on yeah the transfer stuff is absolutely fascinating I want to make that crystal clear but the book goes into much grander issues you have a little look at football broadcasting you talk about the 39th game uh, you're covering an unbelievable sort of you're trying to almost contextualise the business of football it isn't as simple as the business of transfers or anything like that it is this is everything that now goes into the business of football yeah totally so um, yeah you said it better than me to be fair but the, the point generally I think is ultimately where does the money flow come from? And it sounds cynical for me to say it as a fan looking inwards and outwards on the, on the industry, but ultimately it's who pays the players' wages? Who makes the stadium upgrades? Why are owners interested in getting involved in the football industry in the first place? It's yeah. because of the media attention and the media attention that it attracts and the value that it brings from BT and Sky to the overseas deals coming in. And as part of that, what you want, when you, for instance, framing the ownership question, I think there's something at the minute in ownership where I, I, I'm the first thing I almost want to know for almost any owner is what are the motivations, and that's I think that that, that and those are those are hugely varied. That's something that you must have come across in your work repeatedly. That the ownership, we we think that it might just be to make money, but so, as you point out in the book, so many football ownerships have not made money, have mm-hmm. failed to make money. So there's so many different reasons why people at that level choose to get involved in football. Look, I think ultimately. Guys and girls that want to get involved in the football industry get involved in them because they actually enjoy football. That has that has to be it on the whole. Otherwise, there's much better ways to be able to spend your money. Oh, truthfully, and these guys and girls are not, um, you know, um, I think people. They're very clever people that have made their money in all types of industry. So if we're saying invest 300, 400 million quid into a club just because actually you think they're going to make money, you're probably in the wrong business, which then means that they've got passion for some type of sport, providing some type of dynasty, actually just some, you know, leaving a mark that maybe the previous owners couldn't do, like Liverpool, for example. Or even a, a political motivation, which we've yep. also seen. You know, there, there can be that as well. I mean, I don't want to sound overly cynical, but there can be another other reasons beyond even what you've just said there. But there isn't always one reason, and I think that's, again, something which you put over very, very well in the book and something which people sort of miss is, in amongst all of this, the agents, the players, the, the managers, the choices that are made, there's not often one reason why people do X, Y, or Z. There's, again, these competing reasons, these, these overlapping reasons why things end up playing out as they do. Absolutely. And, again... You know, football clubs are not like static creatures. What I mean is it just doesn't stay the same from day one or day two. Things crop up from the second day you own a club to the 100,000th day that you own the club, which are completely different. Now, I think a lot of owners that haven't necessarily been involved in the football industry previously are completely flummoxed by the way that transfers and agents work and how particular motivations actually happen throughout their club. But ultimately, the, the truthful situation is... If you're 
buying a Premier League club, you need to stay in the Premier League and you need those revenues um, to be able to finance the players in order to be able to drive other commercial revenues in order to become self-sufficient. Um, you use loads of Liverpool examples uh, right the way through the book, uh, which I think, I think you're very open, to be fair, from the start of the book, that you are a Liverpool supporter and that you, you, know, you enjoy... Going to going to watch Liverpool games, but you, you do use. I mean, it, it, there's a. The, I mean, it, I think it helps. And it, one of the things that made me think the book was, God, we've had a big ten years. There's been a lot going on. You know what I mean? From even things from the Suarez sort yeah. of stuff, Hicks and Gillette, yeah. right the way through into you know the, the the change in structure behind the scenes at Liverpool, which is now elicits results. But you use loads and loads of Liverpool examples in the last 10, 12 years. I think because Liverpool, you know, have, have, have been able to be used from an illustrative purpose, and also you're a fan. Well, it's actually, it's, it's all of those things together. It's when I was blogging, what more interesting things to write about than your own club yeah. is the truth. So I sort of had a good grasp of a lot of the things. And ultimately it was like, you know, to be fair, we had a lot of material to go on. Yeah. This is, you know, Suarez by himself, John Terry stuff. Suarez well. almost gets his own chapter. I mean, <laughs> but again, part of the story, part of my idea for the book really was to tell stories like ultimately everybody knows some of the things that go on and you said that as well about your very calm words about the book but ultimately it's like how can I tell stories that illuminate a specific point and not go on for five pages about it apart from the takeover one so that at the end you, you get a nice easy takeaway that you can recall quite quickly Yep, it's all in there right the way through uh, the football ecosystem as Daniel's framed it and how it works with, with transfers, with agents, with clubs youth development, managers and then how that stems from the global game and from uh, football broadcasting. It's all absolutely there for you. It's done deal. It is out now. Uh, do give it the opportunity if you want to do so. It's on Bloomsbury, and it's from all the places that you can buy books. Couldn't recommend it highly enough. Great to speak to Daniel there. Can't recommend this book highly enough. Uh, I have read it. Um, and start. Did so. Well, yeah, it's, uh, I always say it's a relief when you're going to go down to London and interview them and the book's all right. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're reading it on the way down, and, and, and you realise, no, we're all right here. Uh, this is going to be fine. Um, and one of the first things he said to me when we were just sort of chat before, and it was, oh, you have read it. Uh, I think that people get a lot of interviews where people haven't read the book Um, so yeah uh, it was good to read and good to be able to come up with intelligent points we've got a longer one of those in that way in which we do which goes on for about 40 odd minutes and goes all over the shop that's coming out next week at some stage so that is out for our subscribers if you don't subscribe to the Anfield Wrap have a think about doing so theanfieldwrap.com forward slash subscribe for all your needs there Uh, anyway we are looking ahead to Monday night's game against West Ham United feels like it's a long 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 way away Joel in one sense but in another sense this is the way in which it works. You know, Liverpool have got a five-day gap. They've got West Ham, five-day gap. They've got Bournemouth. Um, it's it's a game that it does feel it'll be important to get three points from, uh, no matter what Manchester City do, as, as trite as that might sound. I think Liverpool do not want to go back-to-back games without a win. No, it's, it's the biggest game of the season now. I mean, don't want to sell that too much, but it, it is. Re- the most important thing now is... If- these players can show their metal, can show their battle, and it's, I think this is probably the first time we've been under real pressure because, in a way, because City are going to play before us and are going to probably close that gap too. So it's the first time we're going to be under that pressure since going top and having a gap. So a lot, a lot of people are going to be looking at that, especially City fans are going to be looking and going, you know, we're going to, they're going to slip up there. So it it's taken on such a huge anomaly now. It's I could do with it them not playing before us, you know. It just feels a, a, a lot more. Do I get beat, mate? Do <sighs> I get beat? You might. Just, just annoying, Artie. Yeah, I don't know. They are annoying, but they got beat by Newcastle. Arsenal are quite good. I know, but it's, I don't know. It made me stress now. You know what? I came out the ground last night, and I can't believe I made you stress, Joel. I think for anything, I thought I was feeling better about everything. To be honest, it's like a big body. But I, 
I, I, I, I just feel it's Monday night at West Ham. It's got all these sorts of ingredients for us to, to, to go there and maybe have a bit of a hiccup. But, you know, hopefully by then, we, you know, we'll have Fabinho, hopefully back in the, in the, in the starting 11. You know, hopefully there's something going on at right back. Milner? Yeah, Milner's going back as well. So that, that feels a, a lot better. I mean, we've done well there recently. I mean, we've won 4-1 the last two years. And they got a big pitch. I'm sort of dead. I was have these, so... <laughs> <laughs> still massive. No, still massive. Might, but I, I mean, I'd be feeling a lot worse if it was through a still Upton Park. I'd yeah. say that much. Absolutely. Uh, in our last four games against them, Adam, uh, aggregate score Liverpool 16, West Ham United 2. Uh, is, that, is that right? Liverpool 16, West Ham United 2. Uh, they are hugely inconsistent, knocked out of the FA Cup by Wimbledon, but did uh, beat, beat Arsenal 1 0, uh, keeping a clean sheet in the process, but have subsequently lost the ability to defend, just got beat 3 nothing by Wolves. My point is, is that I think we can have a much greater sense of the Liverpool that turns up than the West Ham that turns up. I guess so. Um, it, it's funny, actually, just the, the little things that, that in, when, you, when you're in a title race, you sort of get, well, I get impacted by. When, uh, when Arnautovic signed a new contract, I was like, that's it. <laughs> we're screwed he's going to score against us and then he goes off on crutches and then he goes off on crutches and, you're like, and now you've heard that he might make it back in time well, just bruising yeah. no no it's, uh, he's, he's, he's out he's two weeks out isn't he it, it's, it's, it's oh is he touch and go I think they're getting Batshuayi though oh they're trying to get Batshuayi on loan today I quite like Batshuayi so yeah I mean all of that could I'll tell you what it's highs and lows but Fellaini's gone to China so you know I'm still that's it's just good it's going to be massive there yeah yeah um and uh, so, what was I getting at exactly? Right. So, I think. Crouchy's gone to Burnley. <laughs> I, I, I'm just doing transfer deadline day, aren't we? Uh, Crouchy has gone to Burnley. What are you getting at, though? Uh, I just used a uh, yellow Stay Below Boss highlighter as a tie in the style of Jim White because it's transfer deadline day. Uh, what I'm getting at, I think, Neil, is that we need to play well um, because. I agree. We have. If if you look at our last, um, you know, once once you once once you've sort of you've got a little bit of distance from a clutch of games, you can look at them and say, you know, you know, smiley face, straight line face, or sad face. And I think that we have, we we so we we played well against City and lost. We didn't play well against Palace and won, and we didn't play well against Leicester and drew. And I think that that. Um, and we did all right against Brighton, but it now gets coloured by the other performances. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think that it does because because I think the way we've played since has has, has almost made that seem less of a good performance. So, because because it, it was it, it we're sort of back to where we were at the start of the season when when I, I used to come on these shows every week and say it's either results are going to catch up with these performances or we're going to start playing well. Um, so I think we 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 are back there a little bit and it's it's interesting that it's it's the, the start of the second half of the season and we're kind of. We're grinding out results, except we're not now. Uh, we're kind of not quite grinding out results. We're not quite in as good a, a, a place as we as, as we so were. What if this? Start. So what if this is the blip, and the blip yeah, is yeah. currently is say, and let's let's count getting beaten the cup by Wolves, but then let's move forward and yeah, say course, the, the yeah. blip is currently a one nil defeat. At, uh, sorry, a one nil victory at Brighton, a four three win at home to Palace, and a one 0 draw against Leicester. What if this is the blip? Yeah, well, and 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 it could be, uh, and and it's and it's what you do. So that's what I'm saying is is we we obviously we need we need a result, but we need a performance against West Ham to arrest this blip, this blip in performances, um, yeah. and 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 we might not get it because this. The, the the start of the season blip went on longer, uh, and 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 you know our, our heads were being done in by European results and and some league performances, and uh, but not the results. 
So we do, you know, we we, we do need to to do something. And I think the the main thing is that we need to we need to play well. And, and if we play well, we will win. Um, Kiva, uh, couple of sort of selectiony questions. Would you be giving uh, Naby Keita another start, or would you be looking at going as a three man midfield if you could have Henderson, Wijnaldum, and uh, Fabinho? I think that's the safe option, isn't it? Obviously, the latter. But as you said before, you did. You persuaded me there. He was looking good because I remember his number come up and, and walking off, and I'm thinking, why is he going off? Like he was doing all good things. So, you know, maybe throw him in there. But Fabino's definitely. I think he's gonna. I've got just a prediction that he's just gonna absolutely dominate on this big pitch with his big legs, and he's just gonna be everywhere <laughs> and wonderful, and just slotting him where you need him. Maybe you know shifting into right back into midfield. I feel like he's that first half player and I feel a little bit sorry for Keita because we've sort of all season compared them to each other because they came in together around the same time and they didn't get played for ages and we were thinking you know when are we playing these new signings so we've all almost put them together and now we're judging them as like off each other when they do different things really. Um, there is something around Shakiri Joel where Last couple of starts, he hasn't he hasn't been able to properly get to grips with the game. It's been frustrating. He's not been frustrating in the way in which, for instance, before we signed him, I thought he'd be frustrating. It's more been that he's been Rob Gutman compared him before on one of our shows to Maxi Rodriguez, and I thought that was actually quite a quite a subtle and intelligent comparison. Um, you know, the that when he's emerged through games and found his moments in games, he's been pretty short of unplayable. But what he's not been doing is sort of the the unlikely, which is maybe what we we thought we were getting a little bit. I think he could maybe. I think you could maybe do with starting this one from the bench yeah. and also because it gives the manager a sub if he feels as though he needs it. Absolutely. You know, Max has scored a hat-trick in London, so Shaq wants to take on that role. I'll be absolutely <laughs> fine with me. No, I think we, we we don't know yet, but we could be, it could be a situation with Shaq where he is the impact player and maybe he just won't have the same effect from the start because he's coming on to tired legs and he's always busy, he's always buzzing around. Um, and I think I think that's what we could could be getting from because it, I don't remember doing a thing last night. I was trying to, we've go, going through it in the office before trying to analyze the game. I just don't remember having any real effect on the game. And uh, it's, it's been like that for a couple because he was at the Wolves FA Cup game. He was, he was I think he was he was pouring as well. Um, I think that's the one I'm thinking of. But no, I I think I'd agree with, with Keeve there and going with the three man midfield and, and putting the, our three up front now. And going back to that, just to try and get that win over the line, you know, it means necessary because it does bring the sub. Well, last night, I think our subs were really poor last night, but then you think Klopp's hands are tired because what can he really do? If he has Shakiri, that's always going to be his first go to. That, that's that's my the other half of my thing about Fabinho that was saying before that the the, the, the regret would be. If if I'm Klopp, I'm thinking I wish I'd managed to get Fabinho on from the start because then the other the other side of it is you've got the, you've got a good sub, you've got the Shakiri sub. Um, it, we do, you know, <laughs> without being mean to him, we need to get him back on the bench as soon as possible. Just because, partly because he's just a brilliant sub. Yeah, I mean, I'm not so writing him off as a starter, Shakiri. I think you know this, this, this the kind of you can never do that. Yeah, and this is the kind of you know the way the last month's gone. But I think he has he has played well starting, you know, sort of previously. So I think you can get sort of clouded by most recent events in in in, in life and football, really. But I think. You know, I think I expect him to go back onto the bench of West Ham, and I think he, you know, he'd be looking at more of a midfield freer than his front freer. Then, 
you know, there is the kite question there because you could see how he'd play well in this game. I could see it being quite open. You know, you, you could see us hitting him on the counter and he has like another option who's able a to. A lot do of that. running at Mark Noble. It's kind, <laughs> it's kind of like the, the, just simply the psychology. For, I think Sean Rogers has said this before the psychology of, of, of the manager being able to look and see that he's got like, you yeah. know, full armory kind mm. of there, you know, to, uh, just to, to, make, to make him feel like he can, he, he can do things. Shakiri's, you know that forty-five minutes where he was amazing, and Klopp took him off. Was that against West Ham? Southampton. 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 Yeah, yeah. West Ham was like, first, where they were a bit of a mess. Yeah, they, they didn't we, know each other. It was a good time to. to yeah, they all calling each other mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like Shakiri has that. I feel like he, he is he's a sub player, and I don't want like you say, I don't want to be nasty to him and be like that. But he he would be the first thought last night. We would have been going get Shakiri on, get Shakiri on. But he's already on, so you know. So then you take him off. Yeah. Uh, just the manager decides to address it. But it, but it, it, it impacts on on the the psychology of the first half, where I'm like, we've got all our players on. We need to we need to be doing more now. Yeah. Um, are we all doing Milner on the right back? Yeah, I think yes. so. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's already articles saying it's happening, isn't it? <laughs> James Bates has sort of called it. James Bates has said this is this is going to happen. Um, as I said before, West Ham bad little spot of form. Um, just let me then just take your temperature. Is everyone picking Fabinho? Henderson and Wijnaldum, centre mid three. Probably, I think that's what he'd probably go for. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think so because I'm not sure who I'm, who I'm, who I'm, who I'm, dro- I'm not dropping Genie. You know, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, was, and it's the same thing really when you um, when you kind of think thing. about all of them. You're like, well, I'm not dropping him. So yes, based uh, on that. Uh, last, last little one. Uh, if Lovren makes it back, Lovren or Matip? I prefer Lovren. Lovren. I don't think Matip had a bad game last night. To be honest. Uh, I, no, I, I, I go. For, I keep with Matip at the moment. If, if just because purely more anything else, he can bring the ball out the back, and he, he is okay at doing that. It's a difficult one because he lost it a couple of times last night. But I do, I do like it when he comes out. But sometimes yeah. he doesn't know when to give it. And obviously the goal as well. He didn't come back. We'll blame the goal for that. I probably just go with Matip because he's been playing. I think if he can go with Lovren, and he will. I think he, he likes. Bringing him back in. Depends how warm it is. I reckon yeah. didn't play last night because he was cold. Mm. Yeah. Well, but also you've got to worry about him, haven't you? Grab him up uh, and oh. all that sort of stuff. And I like to think about Joe Gomez, though. And everyone's doing the front three. When is Where's Joe Gomez else? back? We'll get on top of the detail very, very soon on that list. And thank you very much for listening to the weekend. Oh, predictions. Uh, does anyone want to say that they don't think Liverpool are going to win? Absolute silence in the room. That is therefore a sense. Uh, four people think Liverpool are going to beat West Ham United. I will make it five years. And Klopp's got five days with his players. He can get them all back fit and firing and feeling good about things. Uh, they can also spend those five days looking at that five-point gap. This is Liverpool. This is what it is, lads, I'm afraid. This is what it is to try to win the league. Sports Social Podcast Network.